So we are now in second week, week two, I guess the way you'd probably say that. Uh, we're in the week two of the sermon series on the last seven statements of Jesus from the cross. Uh, we are headed towards Easter morning is the, the idea with this, this series where uh, our brothers and sisters around the globe will uh, wake up and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so if you will, go ahead and open your Bibles up to John chapter 19. Um, Press buttons on your phone, whatever it takes to get the words of John 19 in front of you this morning. Uh, So it's an interesting passage here in that while most of Jesus' last hours have this focus on on God the Father and the way that Christ is going to honor his his heavenly Father, in this moment what we see is this this highlight of the way that Jesus honors his mother. Uh, And we're just going to jump right into the passage this morning. Uh, So beginning in verse 23, just to give us a wider context of this passage, this section. Uh, we'll read all the way through verse 27. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. And so they said to one another, let us tear it, but uh, not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, says, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And so the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, uh, these may not be the words we expect to be spoken from the cross, but they teach us something of, of honor and something of family that we deeply need to learn. Help us to understand this passage today such that it changes how we live from this moment forward. It's in Jesus' wonderful and holy name we pray. Amen. So the disciples all believed that they were loyal, that they were going to be faithful to Jesus. They had uh, said just as as much, right? They had had left Jesus, rather, to, to follow Christ. They had left so much to follow Christ. And so when Jesus tells them in chapter 26 of Matthew that they will scatter after he has been struck, uh, you know, they, they don't believe it. They think they're going to be faithful. Even uh, the Apostle Peter, I, who I love, you know, he, he doubles down on his own confidence in his personal faithfulness in this moment. There in, in Matthew twenty six thirty five, 35, he, he boldly says, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And, and the text tells us right after that, And all the disciples said the same. You know, what Peter said, that's, that's me too. And then Jesus was arrested. And his disciples' hearts are consumed by fear and and doubts, and they all deserted them. All of them. Matthew 26, 56 tells us just that. It says, then all the disciples left him and fled. I think it's fair that we not be too rough on them. I'm fairly certain that uh, even if you and I might have conjured up the words that we hear Peter speak here, that we too would have abandoned our, our, our Savior on that day. 
So he's left all alone. The, the, the high priest, Caiaphas, you know, antagonistically reminds Jesus of this abandonment in John 18, 19, when, he, when he's asking him, where have your disciples gone? Where are they? And what he's trying to point out is they've, they've all left you. Sure, you had followers, but they're all gone. All the disciples are going to return to Christ after seeing Jesus resurrected from the dead. And, and their faith becomes so bold that they actually give up their lives. Most of them die as a result of, uh, of their efforts to spread the gospel of preaching this good news around the world. And, and yet, in this passage, we see that even before that time, even before Jesus' death on, uh, on the cross, one disciple returns to the Lord. It's John. You might notice here, one of the interesting things is the Lord doesn't rebuke him. Not a, a single word of rebuke here. You know, he, he gives instead John this incredible honor, this incredible responsibility of, of caring for his, his earthly mother. Let this be an encouragement to, to us. You know, if, you, if you've ever wandered away from the Lord feeling angry or upset or, or for whatever reason it might be, or if you ever do wander away from, from following the Lord faithfully, you know, understand that returning will be welcomed by the Lord. And so then, John's not the only one at the foot of the cross at this time. There's four soldiers that are mentioned there before. I know we talked about them a little last week, but uh, they're there ultimately to fulfill this prophecy. But they also serve this, this contrast uh, of, of four different people that are showing up at the foot of the cross here. There are these four obnoxious soldiers gathered to, to take from Christ the last of his, his earthly possessions. And, and then our attention is, is turned to these four faithful women who are unafraid of being associated with Jesus. And they come to the cross just to be near him. See, the, the four women listed here are uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, uh, Mary's sister, uh, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and, and Mary Magdalene, uh, which finds strange to me. We're talking Mary, Mary's sister, Mary, and, and Mary. <clears throat> if you had to guess what the most popular baby name at the time that Mary was born, what might you guess? Mary, right? Um, <clears throat> which is interesting. You know that the name Mary is not even the top 100 names today. Uh, Sophia is the very top of that list. Uh, and, and yet we're, we're seeing this over and over and over again here, this, this name of, of Mary, you know. The, the thing that kind of reading this made me laugh a little at the moment was that if someone called out the name of Mary, three of the four women would have turned around. <clears throat> and, and I don't know, I find that interesting. It has nothing to do with the story, admittedly. Um, so anyway, these, these four women and, and John are there with Jesus just to be with them in this terrible moment. And, and so I just want to then take a moment, before we go forward with the, the story before us, take a moment and go backwards, go back to, to, to Jesus' childhood in, in, in Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 22 and a bunch of verses after that. And, and in that, that passage there, Mary and Joseph, because they followed the Mosaic law, uh, they, they're taking their, their son Jesus to Jerusalem, uh, to the temple, to present him to the Lord for purification. And, and while on that trip, they meet this, this old man named Simeon. Uh, Simeon's an interesting char character. You see, God had revealed to him that he would not die and, until he had come to see the comfort, uh, come to see the, the hope of Israel, meaning the Messiah is what we're talking about here. And, and then while he's holding the baby Jesus in, in his arms, <clears throat> Simeon says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And that's beautiful, but then he says this really interesting statement right after that in Luke 2.34. And by interesting, what I mean is that this would be incredibly creepy in a lot of ways for, for Mary to have listened to this. He says this. He says to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for, all, uh, for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is, that is opposed. And then there's a parenthesis in there, and it says, And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And then it continues on, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I, I can only imagine that throughout Mary's life, those words would have come back to her as she wrestled with, what did he mean? What did he mean? What did he mean? You know, a, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. That's to Mary. And, and here she stands in this, this moment, and at the foot of this Roman device for capital punishment, looking upon her firstborn child hanging on a cross, and she must finally realize this is what Simeon was speaking of. Because on this day, Mary, you know, this is the day that Mary's soul was, was pierced through, a, a sword right through her soul as she, she watched Jesus suffer on his way to death. I mean, try to imagine that for a moment. Imagine the emotions that must be coursing through her veins in this moment, you know? Uh, none of the Gospels, in fact, record a single word uh, Mary spoke on this day. Not, not one. But we know that here she is looking up to her, her, her son, unable to do a single thing to help him. You know, we, we don't worship Mary. No one ought to worship Mary. She is a, a sinner who is in need of a Savior, just like all of us. But there is so much that we can learn from Mary and her faithfulness and her love for her son and we ought not to ignore her, as often evangelicals do. There is so much wonderful things about Mary for us to see. Um, so we're going to move a little forward here. In this, in this passage, one of the things we're seeing is, uh, predominantly, is, is Jesus is modeling for us the fifth commandment. Um, I know it's sometimes difficult to realize what commandment we're, we're talking about. I, uh, uh, about a month ago, got to drop my, my 12-year-old son off at a fraternity, uh, which is not advised typically, but it worked out all right at Farmhouse. Uh, and I didn't see him again until 9.30 when he got dropped off. I expected him to come in with a, you know, a toga or something on. Uh, <clears throat> instead, he comes in and, and tells us about these new hand motions that he's learned for, for memorizing the Ten Commandments. And, uh, you know, some of them I still remember, even from him telling me, you know, that number two is don't bow down to an idol. Uh, his favorites were, were uh, do not murder, uh, Knife, six, right? Do not murder. Uh, adultery was don't, seven, don't walk out on your spouse. Uh, and steal, right? Eight, steal and you'll get your thumbs cut off. I thought that was pretty great. Um, and, and, and the fifth commandment is what we're talking about. You take the five and, and it's a, a salute, a, a sign of honor is, is the way it was done. So, uh, you know, the, the fifth commandment, though, was, was given by God to his people at Mount Sinai. It's recorded in Exodus 20, 12, uh, which says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may go long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And this commandment is, is restated again in Ephesians 6, 1, only it adds a little bit about what, what this looks like. We, we saw this not too long ago in the fall, but uh, it says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so to honor certainly includes this idea of obedience as stated in in Ephesians, but it it goes beyond mere obedience at well. It includes this idea of of respect and uh, gratefulness and love and affection to our mothers and and to our fathers. And it it should be be said that... um, this has in mind both, both younger believers, right? Children below the age of 18 or whatever age of adulthood you want to uh, assign. And, and also to growing children who are adults and, and have parent, you know, children of their own or are married and have a spouse of their own. So uh, now to be fair, it's going to certainly look a whole lot different in that situation. As we pass into adulthood, it's no longer about obedience because we're no longer the, uh, under the authority of our parents in the same way. But this obligation to honor our parents does not go away. It does not go away. And, and for some, you know, whose parents have been wonderful, honor is so easy to give naturally. I think for others, the, the call to honor their parents is, is one of the more difficult of these Ten Commandments to get their head around. What does this look like? How do I do that in this situation? But, but I do want us all to notice here that there is no qualification to this command. It's not that we are to honor our parents if they have warranted some sense of right to be, to be honored. Um, you know, we are to honor whatever mother, whatever father that the Lord has given us, uh, that he's seen fit to give us. And, and I want us to be constantly wrestling, right? We want to simplify this. So what do I have to do? That's not the question we're asking, right? It's this ongoing wrestling with, with what does it mean for me to honor my parents in this stage of life that I might be in right now? Jesus himself, you know, who, who could have come into the world as, a, as an adult, right? And just skipped over childhood. Uh, you'd imagine most of us would do that if we had the option. And, and instead, he is, comes in as a, as a baby, right? And so he's faced with this challenge that he has to learn what it means to obey his parents. And as he grows into adulthood, he has to learn, what's it mean to, to, to honor my, my mother? Uh, what does it mean to honor them in, in, as an adult? Which, which I suppose raises the question, um, is he modeling for us, you know, honor his mother here? Then why in the world does he refer to her as woman? Right? After all, I, I can't imagine any children in this room really, you know, getting away with the, calling their mother woman. I believe that's been tested by a few of you after we saw this not too long ago. But, uh, you know, this is why we've got to understand that, that this is not a harsh term. It's not a disrespectful term in this culture, in their language, uh, which is why, you know, in, in fact, the, the New Living Bible renders it dear woman. They soften it that way. There are a few other translations that remove the word woman completely there, so as to it's, it's just a statement. Um, but, but, I do under, but we do need to understand that this is a term of respect in, in their culture, uh, such you know, that we understand if, if there were ever the, the Texas translation, it would certainly translate as, as ma'am. Um, if they went ahead and made the Alabama or Mississippi one, it would be ma'am with a longer twang attached to it. Uh, Anyway, you, you likely know that there are other places where Jesus addresses his, his mother this way. There's one other place, rather. It's when he turns water into wine at the wedding feast. And it's interesting uh, that, this, that, that Jesus, in that moment, that's where we, we mark that Jesus begins his public ministry, is, is when he does the miracle of the, the water to wine. And, and here we're seeing that uh, this is the moment where, where Jesus' public ministry is, is coming to an end where it comes to fulfillment, where it comes to completion. Uh, 
So there's another story in Luke I, I kind of want to point us to. It's in Luke chapter 2. And, and in this story, Jesus is somewhere around the age of 12. And when he and his family travel to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, and, and Jesus gets separated from the group and, and as they begin to head home. And you kind of imagine this. It wasn't like just the five of you or the four of you, whatever your, your, new, you know, your natural family size is, is traveling together. There's a big mass of people. There's cousins and there's uncles and there's, there's people all over that are traveling with you. And, and they just assume he must be with someone else. He's not right next to us, but we'll see him later on this trip. And so they keep going. It's, it's pretty much that modern equivalent when, when two parents are like, I thought he was in the other car with you. I thought he was in the other car with you. Uh, you know, and, and you have this realization, we're terrible parents because he's not in either one of these cars. <clears throat> it can happen to anyone. But that's the parenting nightmare, isn't it? That, that somehow we've, we've left our kids somewhere? I mean, that's, that's also the plot of Home Alone, um, that you left your child at home. Um, it, it, it takes Jesus' parents... Three days to actually get back to him. That's a long time. Uh, most 12-year-olds would have either been hiding in a corner, just terrified, or maybe getting into uh, some sort of trouble somewhere. But that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus goes to the temple, and he's sitting, and he's asking questions, and he's, he's learning from the rabbis that are there. And once he's united to his parents, the, the author of Luke makes it clear that, that Jesus is in keeping with the fifth commandment. It has this phrase. It doesn't need to be in here, but it's in here. Luke 2.51, we're told, Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to him, to them. Jesus was submissive to them. You know, here's God. Everything was made through him. Nothing was made that was not made through him. And here he is being submissive to these earthly parents that he has been given. Um, his years of obedience ended, but his call to honor his, his parents never ended. And, and I've already said it, but, you know, Jesus' commitment to honor and care for his mother here is, is, is absolutely put on display. He's making sure that her future needs are going to be taken care of. Now, you, you might have noticed through, through all this that uh, Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, is not mentioned here. The last mention of him in Scripture is that story that we just told of when Jesus was around 12 and, and traveling to Jerusalem. He's never mentioned after that, and while it's not recorded in the Scripture, the reason's quite clear. At some point before Jesus began his public ministry, his father had, had died, leaving Mary a widow. That would explain why, why Jesus is caring for her at this point, in fact. At, at Christ's crucifixion, Mary is somewhere in the range of 50 years old and, and could not have had a whole lot of personal income. It was a little more difficult than for, uh, for women in particular to have made a living on their own. Uh, Jesus is here on this cross, and he is, he is meeting her, her greatest need on the cross, but he also cares that her temporal needs are met, particularly as he is now going to be going away from her. In the, the book of James, we likely know this well-known verse. Uh, there's a call for Christians to be uh, concerned for, for widows. It says in James 1.27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, uh, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the, uh, from the world. And in 1 Timothy 5.8, it lays down this expectation of the way that we care for our family. And admittedly, these words are incredibly harsh. Um, what it says there in 1 Timothy 5.8 is, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
That's a heavy statement right there. Uh, Jesus knows here that he is no longer going to be the means to provide for Mary's food and her housing and uh, friendship and so many things that, that she's going to need. And so he secures this future provision for her. Those, those of us who are, you know, have living parents who, who need financial or other care uh, ought to be asking ourselves this question. How are we doing that? How well are we doing to care for those parents, to, to honor them in this, these fragile last chapters of their life? And, and I say this so that we, we understand, you know, we need to be having conversations with them if we're able to. We need to be having conversations with our, uh, our siblings, you know, what's the best way to, to care for them? Well, who's going to take what responsibility and such? I, um, I just read a, a novel called The uh, Immortalist. I do not recommend it. Terrible book. <laughs> But there was one line that, that jumped out in the entire thing that really was fitting to this passage. There's, there's one daughter who, uh, they have a, a widowed mother, and this one daughter uh, runs away to kind of live her life and, and live her dream. And, and the other children uh, are, are speaking to her, and one of them says, uh, I don't care about relevance. I care about family, and there are things you do for the people who did them for you. See, if, if your parents now you know, live a long way away, and you simply can't be with them, I, I want to warn you, we can hear these kind of things and just pile this guilt on our back, right? Like, I'm supposed to be there uh, right next to them at this moment. And, and sometimes that's just not the case. And I, I say this so that we can understand that there are ways to care for them, even if we can't get there in, in person because of other callings in our life. And, you know, you might call them on the phone, ask them about their life, ask them about their needs, you know, show these, these, these concerns for them, FaceTime them, let them have these conversations with their, their, their grandchildren or, or you, or show them your, your world in that way. You know, if, if your parents don't just don't use this newfangled technology, then, then write them letters. I can explain to you what that is if you don't know. Um, the return address goes to the top left. The place it's going is in the middle. Um, but I, you know, we can explain that to you. But these are ways that you can honor them, to, to communicate to them, and, and, and using technology and medium that they actually understand. And, and so then... In our passage here, we're, we're seeing who better to care for Mary than the disciple, the one that in our passage and many other places referred to as the one whom Jesus loved. Well, you know he's not the only one whom Jesus loved, but there is this special relationship uh, between them, and, and he trusts John. In fact, the fact that here John is showing back up with Jesus' mother is showing him you know, the, uh, the commitment that John has to him. And he, and he gives to him this, this call, you, you care for my mother, he's trusting him with this. Um, A.W. Pink, Arthur, I don't know what the W stands for, uh, Pink, um, of this passage, he says this, Jesus was on the point of offering satisfaction to the outraged justice of God. He was just about to do that work for which the world had been made, for which the human race had been created, for which all the ages had waited, and for which he, the eternal word, had become incarnate. Nevertheless, he does not overlook the responsibilities of natural ties. He fails not to make provision for her, who according to the flesh was his mother. See, we can't be too busy with work. We can't be too busy with ministry. We cannot be too busy such that we fail to provide for the needs of our families. And we're talking about um, maybe, you know, elderly parents, but we're also talking about wives. We're talking about children. We're talking about uh, those who, who God has put in these close ties to us. Um, and that's not the same thing as saying that you've got to provide luxury for them. 
Uh, you know, it's, it's not that you've got to be able to, uh, to provide every single experience and every sport they can possibly play and every vacation they might want and a, and a dream house and a nice car at 16, but it does mean that we're going to provide for our family's needs. That's, that's part of our calling, and it doesn't sound real spiritual, which is why it sometimes gets pushed to the side, but, but it is spiritual because the Lord's the one who's telling us to do so. Now, before we finish, I, I want us all to know that, that Jesus isn't just talking about biological family as we know it. In fact, if you've spent any time in the Gospels, you know that uh, the Gospel often divides families. Matthew 4, you can, you can read about, you know, Jesus is calling James and John, and we see this picture. They're out fishing, right? And it's this beautiful picture of he calls them, they just follow him. And, and we might miss the fact that they're out fishing with their dad. This is the family business. And, and, and suddenly Jesus shows up and calls them, and they follow Jesus, which, you know, is not the, nothing that's going to be real exciting to, to, to Zebedee, right? That's their father who's sitting in a boat mending these nets all by himself at this time. I mean, that's the kind of thing we're, we're talking about. Sometimes the gospel actually will cause some divisions. And Jesus, on many occasions, makes clear that following him is to be a priority, uh, even above family relationships. Now, rarely do those really become a, an issue, but they can become, and it's worth mentioning here. Uh, you know, Laura and I had a, a friend in college who was from a Muslim nation and a Muslim na uh, uh, family. And at, at Texas A&M, he came to believe the gospel, and he put his faith in Christ. And it was this amazing thing until he pointed out to us, when I tell my family, I am going to be cut off. And, and being American, I thought, no way they'll really do that. I know they might be mad, but there's no way they'll really cut you off. And, and they absolutely cut him off. You're not coming home for Christmas. You're not welcome here. And I was shocked that they actually did that. He, you know, he later you know, married this, this godly woman. They have children. They, they live here today. And, and I don't know the state of the relationship with his parents to this day, but at least immediately he was initially completely cut off. And, and, and to be honest, I think as Christians, we kind of like those stories. There's, there's this look at his love and his devotion to the Lord that even though it cost him this relationship with his family, he still stuck by it. But it becomes a little more awkward when we're talking about uh, a, a mother and a, and a child or a father and a child who are both believers, both trusting in the Lord. And uh, I'll say as a youth pastor for many years, it was incredibly normal for people to call me and say, you know, uh, you know, my, my children are, are, are getting into, you know, underage drinking or some sexual sin or, uh, you know, getting in all this trouble at school or something and want to have a conversation about it. Those were normal conversations. The ones that really surprised me, and I'll give you one example, is, is when some parents called me and, and wanted to talk and they were upset that their college-age daughter was desiring to go overseas to be a missionary. And their reason for talking to me was they wanted me to talk her out of it. You're, you're a pastor here. Talk her out of going to be a missionary. And I was, what? <laughs> My whole life calling is to help people follow the Lord. And here are these Christian parents asking me to stop their daughter from doing just that, as if this was the worst thing in the world. Now, I, I kind of understand on, on some level, they were afraid for her, that is this going to be safe for her? More importantly, our bigger deal to them was she's going to be far from us. There's no way God would take her away from us. There are people here you can minister to, right? 
Um, I can't be the only one who've heard these things before, but you know, this is kind of the thing, and, and that's where we start to see this divide come. And, and like I, I have said already, you know, Jesus cares about family, and, and yet our devotion to God must always be foremost priority. So let me ask you in regards to Mary, though. I, I think it kind of presents this, this awkward situation. Is, is Jesus caring for her in this moment because she's a Christian, a follower of, of him at this moment, or is he caring for her because he's, she's her mother, his mother, and, and there's this responsibility to it? You know, is it a fulfillment of the fifth commandment like we talked about, or is it a fulfillment of John 13, 34, and 35, where, where Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, that, you know, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love, if, love for one another. I think you know the answer. It's, it's both of these. Je- Jesus is saying, Mother, John is now your son. John's going to provide for you the way I have. John's going to take care of you. You're, you're going to have that relationship with him. And he's saying to, to John, John, Mary is now your mother. This is your responsibility. You're going to relate to her. You're going to provide for her. Now, you see, John and, and Mary are not biologically related, but they both are standing here you know, literally, literally standing here looking to Jesus on the cross. That's a phrase we use. But here they are literally doing that. And, and, and the reality is in this moment, they are now family. John and Mary are united together in Christ. Isn't that beautiful? This, this new family that is formed from their common union in Christ. You, you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I'm saying that... In the church, you can truly have family. Truly. Um, it, it doesn't matter. I don't know if, if you lose your, your family through, through death, through, through distance, through um, not a shared faith in Christ, whatever it might be, in the church, you truly can have family. This is not a country club. There aren't membership dues. Um, this is a family. You know, we, we, we are all related by blood. Related by blood. We talk about that. You know, are you related? Yes, but we're not blood related. That's, you know, your friend from Arkansas. You don't want to admit to knowing. Um, I have uncles over there. That's, that's me. Um, but we're related by blood. It, it's just not each other's blood. We are related by the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And that means that we are constantly learning what it means to care for each other. We are constantly learning how do we care for each other. Even in the midst of annoying each other, just like any other blood relations, right? We are learning this is what it means to to love each other. We've said this before. I'll I'll say it again. Sometimes it means we let down our walls and and we let people know "This this is what I'm hurting with. This is what I'm struggling with. This is where I need help. You know, give, give opportunity for, for the church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, to, to be a family with you. I'll, <clears throat> I'll say, I mentioned the, the funeral earlier. Before the service started, I was downstairs, and, and all the elders were, were gathered together to pray before it started. And there was a conversation I just got to kind of eavesdrop on. Um, and it was a beautiful, and it fits to this passage perfectly in regards to uh, Diane has, has just become a, a widow. And they're asking the question, Okay, so so and so is going to meet with her, figure out where she is financially, what we need to do to, to make sure she's okay. Uh, they don't have children, so there is no oldest child to take care of them at this point. 
And, and, and yet, here they are as a church reaching out to her to, to serve her in that way. Someone else stepped up and was like, we're, gonna, you know, we're paying for this funeral and the food. There was an amazing, huge lunch for everybody. And, and this is the church stepping in and providing for her in this way. You know, that's, that's the kind of thing that you, you want to start to see in a, a church family. And so I, I encourage you this week to think deeply you know, about what it means to, to care for your parents what it means to honor them in this stage of life, and in particular to the, to the parents you have. Okay, There's no, no getting out of this. The Lord wants you to honor your parents in one way or another. Uh, and then also to consider what it means to be a part of, of a church family, this covenant community, what it might look like uh, for you to be known by others and, and to reach out and take the time to know others. To, to love people who may be different from you in many, many ways, but, but like you are a sinner uh, who has been made into a saint because of the blood of Christ, because we are the family of the Lord. Well, let's, let's pray. Lord, you saw that your mother would be in need of care, and you made sure it would be done. You, you loved your earthly mother and provided for her worldly needs, even as, as you hung on a cross to provide for the spiritual needs of all who would look to you with faith. May we also learn to, to provide for those under our care, our, our parents, our spouses, our children, our brothers and sisters who are in this covenant community with us, united by the blood of Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.